Hello everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Opera After Dark. Do, 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 do. Oh shoot, I messed it up. <laughs> what are you doing? The, the um, nope. The, the big aria, nope. Juliet's Waltz. Je veux vivre? Yes. What is? Da, 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 da. Oh, that's different. What is what you're doing have to do with that? He wrote it. Yeah, but what were you doing? Oh, yeah, da. I was trying to do that. Oh. Disaster. Disaster. Okay, let's do it again. Let me think of another sound effect. No, 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 no. Let's keep going. Welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, my brain is not working. Guys, we're going to talk about a composer today. Oh, no. You know it's bad news when we can't even get through an introduction. Ah, we're going to talk about Charles Gounod. Charles Gounod, who wrote, among other very popular operas, Romeo and Juliet, that Naomi attempted to sing. Um, <laughs> you did a great job, really, very, honestly. Very embarrassing. Oh, I do, um, I do have to say, um, we, we did, but actually, this is a good time to say thank you to everybody who has gone and written a review for Opera After Dark yeah, in iTunes. Thanks. Or wherever else you uh, listen to your podcast. There are some great reviews in there. You guys are so kind. And we're really happy that you guys enjoy the podcast. We love making it. So We do. And we appreciate the validation. And always. <laughs> always. Elspeth especially. Especially me. <laughs> the neediest but, of the three of us. Actually, the thing that made me think of that was that there was one review that was like... <laughs> it was like, they... They talk far too much about how much they're drinking. Oh, really? <laughs> and it was like, well, I mean, come on. It's, I, fe- I feel like... It, That's what it, makes it, us breezy. It bears... <laughs> it bears explanation when you're acting like s- such a drunk ass. You, you have to, like, explain a little bit. We do it not is, talk true. that much about what we're drinking. We haven't done that in a very long time. Because mm-hmm. okay. we have so many I mean, good fa- things to talk we have about. so many good things to talk about. Um, well, now we're doing it again. We're doing any, it again. Anyway, okay. we're talking today about the composer Charles Gounod, who wrote, among other things, Romeo and Juliet, as well as Faust. Faust. Mm, popular. Faust. Faust and opera everybody loves, but that I hate with every fire of my being. Oh, but there's that one really nope. good mm-hmm. Mephisto Fell scene. Uh-uh. <laughs> no. Mephisto I mean, Fell. Let's Mephisto listen to Fell. it, because Naomi thinks it's the greatest thing ever. No, we've already listened to it. That was in our Halloween episode. Yeah, Halloween episode. You know what we should listen to, though? What? tell me. Because it's it was one of my favorite examples of operatic singing, actually, maybe of all time. Uh-huh. And that is from Romeo and Juliet. Yes, exactly. And his tight, tight pants. Yeah, oh, let's listen to it. It was gorgeous. So this is what is it? It's called Alevitois. Soleil. Yes. Soleil. And this is like probably Romeo's most famous aria from the opera, from mm-hmm. Ro- Romeo and Juliet. And yeah. this particular recording is of. Vittorio Grigolo, and he just, I mean, he nails it. He nails it. 
Naomi, can you like tell us anything musically ab- about this piece that we can listen for, just so then we like aren't breaking fair use when we, we play the entire thing? <laughs> I mean, it's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it's so beautiful. He's right, a tenor. This... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what what else is there to know? Okay, with that, now I think smart. we're good. I... Okay, <laughs> I'm at my wits' end. <laughs> All right, let's listen to Alevitoi Soleil. It is so the tightest. So good. It is. Yeah, it, it is really good. Is. It's pretty it good. just takes me into my own little heavenly tenor tenor place. Mm. This is true. Why am I singing it? You should be singing it, Kyle. Well, I <laughs> clearly don't know how it goes. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be on it. Um, all right, so, ready? Guno. Guno. All right, so I'm going to do a little bio stuff about him, and then we're going to get into the nitty-gritty. Are we? What is the nitty-gritty? Are we just talking about his life? Or are we talking about one of his works? Well, he was oh, not no, a great guy. He was not great. And there's oh. one particular instance that we're going to talk about. Oh. Scandalous. Dang. Okay. Do tell. Do tell. So he was born in June of 1818. His mother was a pianist, and she actually served as his first teacher, and um, when he was a child, she arranged for him to receive composition lessons from a man named Anton Reicha. And after he died, Gounod began studies at the Paris Conservatoire, where he eventually won the Grand Prix in 1839 for his uh, piece called the Cantata Fernand. Much like, uh, oh no, this was before Bizet, because Bizet did the same thing, right? Berlioz. Berlioz? Oh, Bizet didn't go to the conservatoire and win the Prix de Rome? I don't think Bizet ever won the Prix de Rome. Berlioz. I'll look it up while you tell us. I think, you're thinking, I think you're thinking of Berlioz. Probably. Um, so Gounod, um, after he finished in Paris, and then he went and you know won the Grand Prix and he moved to Rome, and after further composition studies in Rome, he uh, focused on 16th century church music, particularly the works of Palestrina, and he became really interested in religion 
and by 1845, he began to con contemplating the priesthood. And as we know, every composer that contemplates becoming a priest turns out to be like a filthy, filthy man. And obviously, he did not become a priest. Um, he Excellent. rejected the idea, and he got eventually got married. But he did write um, many sacred works, including masses, the most popular being um, one he wrote in 1855 called the St. Cecilia Mass. Um, and also that year, he turned out two symphonies, which achieved attention, but no real lasting success. Do we and have any, any recordings of his masses? Oh, yeah. Oh, you want to listen to the St. Cecilia Mass, some of that? That would be just a little tidbit. That would sure. be great. Go for it. So you can get a sense of Gounod in the sacred vein. Side note, Bizet did indeed win the Prix de Rome in Nailed 1857. It. Oh, no. give me a break. Okay. In 
Who's the music historian now, bitches? He did. <laughs> he did. Whatever. Anyway. <laughs> you got to give me one, Elspeth. How okay, of- fine. How often is it that I just know something, okay? <laughs> I feel like you knew that because you thought it was really <laughs> No. Nope. You were no- like, oh, the composer of Carmen won the, the Prix de Rome, the Grand Prix. Yeah. That's what you thought in your head when you said that. Yeah. Actually, when I was in college, I had to do, like, I don't know for what class it was, but I had to do a report on on Bizet. So. Okay. Oh, well then. Fine. All right, fine. Whatever. I give it to you. (laughs) All right. So we listened to a little bit of the St. Cecilia Mass. That was 1855. Four years later, which is 1859, he wrote Faust. Um, which then became, it had a very slow start. It didn't was an automatic success like some of the other operas that we talked about. Um, but it sort of ended up being the piece that Gounod is most famous for. And then um, he wrote Romeo and Juliet in 1867, which added to his reputation all throughout Europe. Um, but I feel it, like for a period of time, he was like the most notable french opera composer is that not right definitely definitely For sure. um mm-hmm. but um in 1870 he actually lived in england uh due to the political climate in uh france because of the franco-prussian war mm. um so he lived there with his wife and family for about five years and then returned to france and he kept writing music especially religious music but he never really attained the kind of success he experienced in the 50s and 60s Right. Something that's so odd to me is that he mm-hmm. did, like, so Faust is wildly popular, and so is Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. and he was known for being this prolific composer of his time, but you, you don't really hear about many of his other works, at least not right now. Well, yeah. I think that he lived in the shadow of Faust for a long time. Like He did. It he did, did have a slow start, but it did pick up and become very popular within his lifetime, and it was as if he was always trying to write another thing as good as Faust and mm. yeah and obviously you have to remember that Gounod also wrote that extremely popular setting of the Ave Maria oh that's right you know oh is that like the number one I thought that was Schubert that did like the one that everybody knows now well there's a couple but yeah. Gounod is a couple versions of Ave Maria that are really popular Schubert's is like the one you think of when you think of it's like Ave sung at weddings Maria. all the time yeah, yeah. that's Schubert yeah. but Gounod I did it at a funeral once no oh. Gounod wrote one where he like wrote a melody or paired the text of Ave Maria with Bach's, with an excerpt from Bach's Well-Tempered Clavier. Yep. That's what mm. made it so, what sets it apart is being extremely unique. So it's like Gounod and Bach meet in a new setting of Ave Maria. That's cool. Can we listen to that? Yeah, sure. of course.
So Gounod died um, in 1893, um, and I think that he is sort of this major figure in 19th century French music, although stylistically, I mean, he's pretty conservative. Uh, you couldn't really call him a trailblazer or like a founder of a movement in like a new school or new type of music. Um, it was super tuneful, um, the really great orchestral writing, really imaginative vocal writing. Um, he mainly focused on music in the vocal arena, even though he wrote a couple of symphonies, but he was really into opera and uh, really into sacred music. But obviously Faust and Romeo and Juliet and the Ave Maria are the pieces that he is really known for. You know what I kind of like thinking about, and maybe this and other people aren't into this, but so he you said he was born in 1818 and he died in the 1890s. And 1893. That yeah, so that particular gap is just interesting because when he was born and then growing up, that was when like Beethoven was still alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and composing, um, I mean, at the end of his life. And then when he died, that was right after, like, Puccini had his first big success. It's true, but also yeah. within his lifetime, like, Wagner rises to popularity in Germany, too. So right, you think right. about that, he would have seen mm-hmm. or at least heard of or been familiar with Wagnerian works. And also... Hansel und Gretel makes its world premiere in Ooh. 1893. Hansel, so the year that he passes away. Yeah, so. so I just I feel like that's really cool that in in one lifetime somebody mm-hmm. feasibly could have experienced All like that. new Beethoven and yeah. then also Puccini just yeah, in one yeah, totally. span. And all the bel canto composers yep. he could have come in contact with right when he was like a teenager mm-hmm. and or maybe well. Maybe a little bit at younger least than that. maybe yeah. a bit younger than that for all three of them to be alive. But um, he he probably would have been exposed to music by the Italian bel canto composers, right. and then also probably would have seen some Verdi because yeah, exactly. Verdi also rises to popularity at that time. It's really cool. That's what I mean. It's amazing that particular span. There's just so many, especially because you think about certain things as being so far apart. Like mm-hmm. I think of like Donizetti and Puccini being like. Like way apart hundreds and hundreds of years and that's not well it just it just all. feels it feels like yeah. a big gap or like mm-hmm. especially like beethoven and puccini feels like forever different but mm-hmm. it's not really but not really yeah okay well what was so scandalous okay. about charles gounod so gounod uh married a woman named anna zimmerman who naturally was the daughter of his former piano teacher, which Damn apparently it. is how everybody <laughs> met everybody in the 19th hey, century. Hey, at least he didn't teach her, because that was... He didn't teach her. That's I feel like that was true. the big thing, is mm. like people, hey, I need to get some students, and also a wife. Right. Um, so, Gounod, um, if we want to put it politely, was described as having... <laughs> Wait, described. can I guess? Can yes. I guess? Yes. No, God, please. Yes. Is this something in the way of like being a pervert? Uh, um, politely as uh, being a sex addict. No, that's not polite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I give up. Did he have a taste for much younger women? He had a weakness of the flesh, is how it was referred to. So that's a sex addict. I mean, kind well, of, that's but very that's like vague. a polite way of putting it. Um, uh, he basically slept with a lot of women. 
Nice. Uh, and to his credit. Okay, so I kind of I kind of nailed it, is what you're saying. Yeah, sure, okay. Um, <laughs> so to his credit, he conducted these extramarital affairs with a great sense of discretion, um, and he meticulously protected the identities of his carnal conquests. Ooh. Yes, thank you very much. What great wording. What great wording. Right. And that is until he made the acquaintance of a woman named Georgina Weldon. Um, and let me tell you a little bit about Georgina. Super hot. like. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to Google her and see if we have ten, a painting. 10 for okay. 10. <laughs> That's so, super hot paintings of, of Georgina. Georgina was born in South London, but she spent most of her childhood in the city of Florence. She had high dreams and high hopes of becoming a professional opera singer. Um, mm -hmm. Those dreams were crudely dashed by her father, who uh -huh. actually disinherited her from marrying a man named William Henry, William Henry Weldon, who was a lieutenant in the 18th Royal Hussars. Oh, so she was married. She or was married. Divorced? Married. They were both okay. married. Oh, shit. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um... <laughs> So to her dismay, her husband also had little sympathy for her professional artistic ambitions, and he forced her to appear in amateur theatricals, church gatherings, and charity concerts. And Son of a by, bitch. by all Aww. accounts, Georgina um, was actually a pretty terrible singer. Oh, <laughs> um, well. Oh, no. <laughs> there is paints a, a different picture. Right. There is a quote that says, her voice is somewhat harsh. Her intonation is incorrect. And she is wanting in style. Is she like a Florence Foster Jenkins? I think a little bit, yeah. But apparently her manner of making false notes was um, so like purposeful. She had so much false confidence that people were like charmed by it regardless. Which So exactly like Florence Foster Jenkins. Kind of, right. Kind we of. should definitely she... do an episode on we Florence should. Foster Jenkins. Please. So was she like a society lady as well? Or like what... what... Class. She she was, um, maybe a little bit less once her father disinherited her and she oh, married yeah. this uh, army lieutenant. Um, hmm. So she the couple remained childless childless for whatever reason. So Georgina uh, Georgina actually established a national training school of music for poor children. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, and she and her husband moved into a home called Tavistock House, and she actually established an orphanage at that residence. Okay. Um, so in 1871, Gounod and his wife um, fled Paris, like I said earlier, fled the destruction of the Franco-Prussian War, and they sought refuge in the city of London. Um, and they moved into Tavistock House in November of 1871, and they had um, a small room at the top of the house. And apparently, it was said that Georgina made daily visits to Gounod's um, tiny little room, apparently trying to entice him to compose music for her. Wink, wink. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Please uh, compose something on me. I mean, for me. <laughs> So there was a lot of gossip that suggested that um, <laughs> obviously she went up to his room for other things besides like working on music, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. um, but apparently Gounod and Georgina sort of 
benefited greatly from this sort of atmosphere of intrigue and scandal. The composer wrote a lot of vocal music, which frequently featured Georgina as the soloist, which mm -hmm. I don't know why, but I'll tell you the reason why. It's because Georgina had enough pull that she arranged for the publication of these compositions, and all the proceeds of that went to aid in the orphanage. And ah. apparently, in a moment of... Um, Exalted passion, Gounod even promised Georgina the title role in his new opera, a piece called um, Polyecta, which is based on a drama by Pierre Corniel. Oh, and, and during all of this, Gounod is married, right? Oh, they're both married. They're both oh, married geez. to different people, but is Gounod <laughs> like estranged from his wife at this point, or well, are they together? Well, is that she was aware of her husband's growing infatuation with Georgina, so she actually packed her suitcases and she went back to Paris, while oh. Gounod stayed in London, so she was not there. <laughs> she's like, uh, I'll take my chances with the Franco-Prussian War. Yes, yeah, she's basically <laughs> like, I don't want to deal with this. Peace out, bye. Um, <laughs> so what happened is that Georgina was getting increasingly more demanding of Gounod, and Gounod started pulling away, and things sort of turned predictably nasty, and Gounod decided to return to Paris to reunite with his wife in 1874. Um, and so what happened is that Georgina, um, hoping to publicly shame Gounod, uh, went to members of the press and started giving interviews because Gounod was like oh, a, fa damn. A, a famous figure at this point. Right. Romeo and Juliet had happened. Faust had happened. Um, so she went and did all these interviews with the press and exposed pretty private things that uh, should have remained private. private but they, <laughs> in fact, did not. Um, I'm trying to see if I can find a quote from that, but I don't think I can. I'm really sorry. Can I just make an, an interlude really quick? So yeah. this might sound terrible, but don't you guys as like musical people, wouldn't you find it hard to be in a relationship with somebody who was not at all musically inclined? Like one time I dated somebody who just had a God awful singing voice, like really terrible. Yeah. And I just, it, <laughs> it sounds terrible. <laughs> no, I mean, a, I get it. It was a really big deal for me. Because, you know, like you're in the car and the radio's on and then, you know, you want to sing along. But it's just like bad. What do you, so what do you do? Is that a deal breaker for you guys? Uh, kind of. Yeah, I mean, I've never, I can't say I was ever faced with that particular predicament. But I do know that when I met my lovely husband. Aww. It was Denver. Like a, a Denver. Denver. <laughs> yes. When Denver I met him, of uh, motherboard uh, acclaim. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, motherboard acclaim. There's a great article about him. You can look it up. Um, I remember thinking that I he was not like a music major, but he had told me just in conversation that he played trumpet in high school band, mm -hmm. and I was like. Ding, that's a star for him. You were like, like, <laughs> like oh, thank God. Yeah, I'm like, well, he has like some semblance of musicality right. in him. So he, I like, did kind of understands. I did right. date a guy once who was an actor who turned out to be a really horrible actor, and that was sort of the end of that. Nice. <laughs> that was a very short-lived relationship. I mean, like a month and a half. I wouldn't even call it a relationship. Um, hey, also, uh, hey, while we're talking about uh, yeah. significant <laughs> others of of notoriety we also have to mention that elspeth's uh fiance mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. is percussion famous. He is percussion famous. Um, we just found out that there's some sort of Spotify playlist that is like the best classical music of 2017. And this piece from Ian's album, Memory Palace, is on there. This piece by Paolo Prestini called G-Force. And we just <gasps> found out it's been listened by like 250,000 people. So that's pretty cool. That's amazing. That's right? awesome. I know. Wait, is Memory Palace in, is that in any way connected to like Mind Palace, like in Sherlock? I mean, it's the same concept, but Memory Palace is the name of uh, the p- a piece that is featured very prominently huh. in it. But yeah, it's sort of the same cool. like, concept. Yeah, yeah. There um, you go. All right. So Percussion anyway, famous. back to Guno and Georgina. <laughs> um, so she, in an interview conducted by a special correspondent of the New York Times in London in June mm-hmm. of 1874, Georgina defiantly declared... According to some authorities, an atmosphere of scandal is not only favorable to development of musical reputation, but it's absolutely essential to it. It's certainly essential to Mr. Charles Gounod for the marketable admiration he so well deserves that he should have about him an element of intrigue, contention, and scandal, which I I choose to supply. Whoa! Right. So she started doing all these interviews with the press. Okay, but seriously, though, can we say that she's wrong? Because so many composers, like, they're, like, all wrapped up in this scandal and intrigue. Well, no, but should she have, like, openly gone to the press to talk about No. It? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe she should have. I don't know. I'm not judging <laughs> you. I'm not judging you, Georgina. I'm just talking about what happened. Um, right, right. Like, she's an equal partner. It's not like she was preyed upon or anything like oh, that. Oh, no, 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 no. So in addition to all of this, she refused to return a lot of his belongings, which include like autograph scores to this opera that he wrote, claiming that she was going to sing the lead for. Damn. Um, and since he that said awesome. she was going to sing the lead, she claimed ownership of the composition. <gasps> and so Gounod was forced to reconstruct the entire score from memory because <laughs> she wouldn't give it back to him. Um, but eventually, years later, she did return it to him. But what she did was she took a blue crayon and she wrote her name across each page diagonally. (laughs) (laughs) And then on top of that, she sued him for damages. I feel Uh, like this is like high school. Yeah, but the English courts ordered Gounod to pay her 10,000 pounds. What? Wow. Then 10,000 pounds, I feel like that would be like at least $100,000. Bazillion dollars. Yeah. A bazillion dollars. I don't know. One bazillion. One bazillion dollars. And since Gounod was never again going to set foot on English soil, the courts were unable to enforce that judgment. Uh. Um, <laughs> so it's like, he was just like, I'm just not going to pay it. He's like, I'm not going to pay it. I'm not going back there. <laughs> I'm never going to go to England and, and they can't yeah, do anything. Yeah, so this opera, this Pagliacci opera that he wrote for Georgina premiered without her participation in October of 1878 <laughs> in Paris. <laughs> So this is like the most well-known affair that he had. Apparently, he was notorious for just sleeping with women, like consensually sleeping with women left and right, which is funny because the only pictures I can find of Gounod are Gounod as like a 70-year-old man. But <laughs> I guess ugly? people, no, he's just old. And he's just, <laughs> he's kind of, he's got like the beard. He's kind of grim looking, like he's, right, you right. know. You know, he looks, I don't know, like they all looked like that huge, <laughs> crazy hipster beard and, and all, all those that. white guys, but white guy composers. All those white guy composers. But um, George, Georgina is the most famous because she just took it upon herself to go to the press, which, I mean, I guess her husband, 
Like, what did her husband feel yeah. about all of this is my real question. I mean, I wonder if he was also having affairs, and so it was like... I he don't didn't know. He didn't really bring it up because he didn't want to... <laughs> He didn't, didn't want to deal with it. Or didn't want so, it pointed back at him. This is my right. my tale of Charles Gounod. So, I, screw you, man. Faust is dumb. Whoa. Whoa, yeah. suck it, Charles. <laughs> Jeez. You know most people disagree with you, Elspeth. That's fine. Most people enjoy the Faust. I stand by my opinion of Faust. Apparently... Years ago, it was like many, many years ago, the Met opened every single season with Faust. Oh, yeah. That's what I heard. Yeah, for like at least like a the, decade. That was, that was in like, like the, the 1880s. 1800s or something. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was in the very early years of the company. Like Not, Faust was so popular. It was so popular that every single year that was what they opened the season with. Huh. Which is why it has such crazy high numbers of performances in like oh. Met opera history. But crazy. How do you yes. feel about uh, Romeo and Juliet? I like Romeo and Juliet more than I like Faust. But? I mean, it's not some, like, my favorite opera or anything like that. I think, it's, I think it's fine. It's pretty good. Oh, guys. What? Georgina's husband, mm -hmm. um, whose name is Sir William, William Henry, Henry Weldon. Mm -hmm. Apparently, you know that orphanage that you were talking about that, oh, that no. she set up? Yes. <laughs> Tavistock House? Yes. yes. Tavistock House. What Appa happened to the children? <laughs> well, apparently, um, oh, no. and this is where she met Gounod, right? Right. I think it was either, it was bleeding money or he, like there was some kind of scheme involved in the running and <gasps> economics of this whole thing. Oh, shit. And then at the same time that this was happening with Tavistock House, Georgina had this growing interest in spiritualism that her oh husband God. was like really not into. Uh -huh. And so he basically, the two of them separated and then she tried, basically took him to court to get him to pay to like support Tavistock House. And he tried to prove that she was insane and he tried to get her locked up in a lunatic asylum. Didn't she end up Dang. locked up in a lunatic asylum? I'm not sure if she, what her final fate was, but, um, but then, uh, according to the laws of the time, women could not bring a civil suit against their husband. So she was actually not able to like go up against him in court. Yes. But then he was able to go after her. I feel like she actually <laughs> ended her days. Lock her up. I feel like this is sad. I feel like she actually ended her days in a lunatic asylum. Dang. It's possible. That'll teach you to bring a civil suit against your husband. Yeah. I, well, I mean, she didn't do it. He did it. She couldn't, as a as a woman. Yeah, she couldn't. She could actually legally right, couldn't. Right. But then, and then after she died, he married his longtime mistress Annie Stanley Lowe. Oh. Oh, yeah. Annie. So he was. He. I was right. He was having his own little things on the side. So I guess everybody was. I mean, hey. and in what? the words of James Fraser, she must have been some kind of hooer. A hooer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they were all hoovering around, so let's not blame one individual person. That is true. That for is these true. relationships. Yeah. So that's a brief little tidbit about Charles Gounod. 
Yeah, can I we guess... listen? Can Fine. we, as we play out, can we listen to something from Faust, Elspeth? What would you like to listen to? Probably We've the already... Jewel Aria. Or oh, like that, that final good. scene, the trio, where like Marguerite's going to heaven. You know what I'm spoilers. talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. The you baby's dead. Oh, yeah, it's real sad. Gosh, spoilers. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> like we've all had like 200 years to see it. Or at yeah, least I mean, 150. At least 150 <laughs> years to see it. Come on. Sure, we'll play something from the finale of Faust. Yeah, it's pretty. It is pretty. On that note, I'm Elspeth. I'm Naomi. I'm Kyle. We'll catch you next week with another episode of Opera After Dark. Bye-bye. Bye. Au revoir.